You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed in Markham, in Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan, in Stowville, in Woodbridge, in Unionville. This is the feed on 1059 The Region. I'm Ann Romer with York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Coming up, a professor from York University who just happens to be an American citizen with his take on the presidential election. Also ahead, clearing the air in your home. But we begin with the promise of a vaccine for COVID-19. Pfizer's stunning vaccine announcement last Monday, November 9th, raised hopes of a possible life without COVID-19 and also sent stock markets flying. To quote the drug maker's chair and CEO, today is a great day for science and humanity. Joining us now on the feed to examine the results of the vaccine trial and offer words of cautionary wisdom is Dr. Cindy Shen, public health physician with York Region Public Health. Thanks for joining us on the feed. Thanks for having me. So when you took a look at the information that was given about the trial and made public on Monday, what was your first thought, Dr. Shen? So, uh, you know, this was a phase three clinical trial of the vaccine candidate, as you mentioned, that was developed by Pfizer and BioNTech. And uh, it's really quite exciting because this is the final human trial before regulatory approval. Um, and the preliminary analysis, this shows some very promising findings. And I'm sure we'll talk more about what that means specifically. But it did show an efficacy rate above 90%, which was much higher than scientists have uh, anticipated. So it's very welcoming news. Um, but we'll have to wait for the trial to be completed to the final results, and we're really looking forward to seeing that as well. So let's dissect some of the details. The study enrolled 43,538 participants, 42% of them from diverse backgrounds with no serious safety concerns. Can you take it from there? What happened next? So uh, as you mentioned, yeah, this is a very large trial, um, and essentially each person that was enrolled had a 50-50 chance of receiving the vaccine or a placebo, which was a dummy shot that did not contain the vaccine. Um, and both treatments uh, were given in two doses separated by three weeks. And then what the researchers did was that they looked at COVID-19 cases in the two groups, uh, by testing people who developed symptoms uh, seven days after the second dose was given. Um, they did report 94 COVID-19 cases, and more than 90% were actually found in the group that did not receive the vaccine. And so as a result, um, the developers uh, reported an efficacy rate of over 90%. Um, again, this is preliminary results, so we're really looking forward to uh, dissecting the final results uh, as the final results may change. And what happens in terms of the time frame for the final results? And will the same group of people, the close to 50,000 people, be continuing in the trial, or will they work on new volunteers, new participants? So that's a really good question. Um, the researchers are aiming to end the trial when 164 infections are recorded. So there are about 70 infections away at this point. They're also following until at least half of participants have been tracked for side effects for at least two months after the second dose. Because a part of the reason the trial was conducted is to also pick up any safety issues or 
side effects that may not have been detected previously in the smaller trials, and reassuringly, so far, no serious safety concerns were found. Um, and so they're anticipating that these milestones may be reached later this month. With regard to your second question about um, the total number of people enrolled, um, really they are, uh, to my knowledge, so far more than 39,000 people uh, have received the second dose of vaccine, so there may still be others who will uh, need to receive the second dose, and we'll see what that additional results will review. Dr. Shen, how unusual is it that human trials take place so quickly when developing something like a vaccine? So this is a very uh, sort of stunning time, right, because this is the pandemic, and so researchers have been working around the clock to try to find a vaccine against COVID-19. So everything has been expedited, so a shorter time frame applied to each stage. Uh, That being said, um, we are um, taking every precaution to make sure, so by we, I mean really the regulators in this case when it comes to Health Canada and the federal government, to make sure that uh, a vaccine is deemed safe and effective before it is rolled out. Um, and so it is, uh, it, it could be a bit unusual for developers to release this news uh, so early, you know, before the trial is completed, um, but it's very exciting and welcoming news. Canada, as I understand, has already purchased 20 million doses and has the option to purchase an additional 56 million. How do you think it will be rolled out in Canada? So uh, firstly, I think it's really great that our federal government has secured or pre-ordered doses of this particular vaccine. Uh, The other thing to note is really there. They have pre-ordered other vaccine candidates as well, which may also uh, be shown later to be effective. Um, And in terms of the rolling out, uh, again, as I mentioned, the proper approval will have to come from Health Canada. They will have to do their own independent analysis to make sure that it's safe and effective for the rollout. And then, you know, the manufacturing process may take some time as well. And then comes the distribution piece. Uh, And when it comes to this particular vaccine, uh, because it needs to be stored at super cold temperature, that does need to be uh, teased out. Uh, In terms of the distribution, again, the federal government and the provincial government are working together to come up with a plan and distribution strategy. And York Region Public Health is following closely uh, the developments related to that. As we watch the numbers climbing both in Canada and the United States and really around the world, we also are beginning to understand that the COVID-19 virus manifests itself differently in in different people. Some people are very much affected by it. In fact, it can be fatal in some cases. Others kind of breeze through it as if it is a cold or flu. Will that have a bearing on the efficacy of the vaccine or how the vaccine is put together? In terms of the efficacy, I think one thing to note is that um, there are still a lot of unknowns when it comes to this particular vaccine candidate, and that's why I highlighted earlier that it's really important to wait for the final results and for experts um, and regulators to take a close look at the complete picture um, because one of the things that is to be examined would be how effective it is in different groups, including different age groups. And as you mentioned, um, there are people who may be at higher risk for the infection. And so that needs to be examined along with how effective it is on severe disease and people who may be carrying the disease asymptomatically. So still lots of unknowns, and we really look forward to getting additional information on these aspects as well. But also, like you mentioned, 
you know, nobody, you know, we, anybody could become infected when it comes to this infection. And that's why it's so crucial for all of us to make sure that we're taking the proper precautions to protect ourselves and others around us. I have to ask a question that might be difficult to answer at this stage. When you think about the flu vaccine, every year different strains of it are put together in order to protect people in North America or in Canada alone. Would the same thing be done with the COVID-19 vaccine? Would there be variations of it from year to year? So that's a really good question, and uh, I think we're all eager to find all the answer to that. Um, so uh, scientists are performing studies to understand better how this um, virus works. Um, and so if there are mutations that happen that would actually alter the behavior of the virus, and the protectiveness of the vaccines uh, that may be uh, required in terms of revaccination, but we're still um, awaiting information on that, and the science continues to evolve around this particular uh, virus and also the vaccine development. You could almost hear the whole world going, whoop, yay, when the announcement was made and the results were released uh, on Monday morning, but now... A week low, almost a week later, the dust is beginning to settle. We have to remember not to drop our guard, let our guard down when it comes to protecting ourselves right now from COVID-19. That's a really good point. Um, I completely agree with that. You know, until a safe and effective vaccine is provided widely enough that there is widespread immunity on a population level, it is really important for us to continue being vigilant and to apply the measures to protect ourselves and each other. And so this means that following distancing, physical distancing will lead two meters for those you don't live with, you know, avoiding social gathering, wearing a mask um, when you're in public spaces, and if you're not able to physically distance, wash your hands, uh, practice cough and sneeze etiquette, and staying home and getting tested if people have symptoms, even mild ones, because we know that this virus can be tricky and they can spread even when the disease is mild or people are asymptomatic even. And also downloading the COVID alert app will be very helpful to keep track and to be informed of exposure to the virus and to notify others if they are exposed. And lastly, I just want to comment again that it's really important, as you mentioned earlier, to get the flu shot because we know that the flu can present with similar symptoms as COVID and can further strain our health system. We know that these steps work, and we really hope that uh, people in York region can act together to reduce the spread of this virus. In your opinion, and the opinion of York region public health, when do you think it's realistic to believe that a vaccine will be available for all? So the federal government announced that if all goes well, then the vaccine may be available to Canadians sometime over the first three months of 2021. Um, you know, it does take time, as I mentioned earlier, to get regulatory approval for manufacturing and distribution to take place. So it may still be a while. It's not imminent, and that's why it's important, especially with the weather getting colder and as people move indoors, to keep up with physical distancing and all these measures so that we can protect ourselves and each other and our community. As a physician, do you feel it is important that we know as much as possible about these trials, about the vaccine, about how it is being created and how it's being tested all the, all the way through until we actually have the vaccine in hand? Is it important that we, the public, know what's going on? 
I agree with you 100%. I think it's really important to be transparent. Um, and so uh, I know that um, according to reports, uh, the developers are preparing to release information through a published review as well. And I'm sure there will be additional news coverage on this. So um, it's important to be transparent because we need the public um, to believe in the vaccine in terms of its effectiveness and safety. And also, as I mentioned, precautions are being taken to make sure that they are effective and safe. And so um, we're really hoping that a transparency could be, you know, conveyed here and that um, everybody can get the vaccine when it's out uh, in the market. And for now, we must stick to the guidelines and also adhere to the safety protocols. If Anyone listening right now wants more information from York Region Public Health about how to stay safe, how to prevent the spread of COVID-19, where should they go? So our website is a really good resource, york.ca slash COVID-19. So you can find more information on the current situation in York Region, uh, along with ways you can protect yourself, your family, and community. Um, it has a lot of excellent information, and we really hope to direct people to our website for more information. And you have offered excellent information yourself. Thank you, Dr. Cindy Shen, Public Health Physician with York Region Public Health. My pleasure. Thank you, Anne. When we come back, Americans may have a president-elect, but what happens next? That story is coming up. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to the feed on 1059 The Region. I'm Ann Romer. Well, it kept us on the edge of our seats for days. Our nights were spent checking our devices for more juicy details. We had butterflies in our stomachs. Our nails were bitten to the quick, pulses racing, brows sweating. No, it wasn't a reality show we were watching. It was the U.S. election. We were hooked, fixated, engrossed, mesmerized, and in many cases, obsessed. But why? With the answer to that and much more is Stephen Newman, Associate Professor, Department of Politics. Politics, Faculty of Liberal Arts and Professional Studies, York University. Welcome to the feed, Stephen. I'm pleased to be here. So I don't know if you went through any of that. I certainly did, and, and many of my colleagues and many people in Canada and the U.S. So why do you think we were so taken by this U.S. election? Well, I'm still sleep-deprived. I mean, I, I didn't sleep for a week ahead of the election, and I didn't get much sleep after the election. Now, speaking purely for myself, I'm an American citizen. I have lived in Canada for 36 years now, but I was born and bred in the U.S., and I still vote in presidential elections. Uh, I think everyone was obsessed with this election because of Donald Trump, because of who the man is, how he has conducted himself in office. Everyone felt they had a stake in this election. Let's talk about Trump before we talk about the winners. Do you think that he has what it takes to concede? No, I don't. I, I, I don't think he is psychologically capable of admitting that he lost. And I think that he will continue to protest that the election was stolen right up until the 20th, 
of January and beyond that point, he may make an industry of complaining about having lost the election to fraud for the next four years. So many things that normally happen after an election, for instance, a meet and greet at the White House between the current president and the president-elect, those things don't seem to be on the calendar at this point. Well, again, I would be very much surprised if it happened. And yet these little rituals are tremendously important. If you, In the past few days, if you've been watching television or YouTube, you know that that various sources have been replaying concession speeches from the past, the really eloquent concession speech given by John McCain when Obama won the presidency. I mean, I had forgotten how marvelous it is. Important because it acknowledges the legitimacy of the transfer of power, which is essential to a democracy. But if that were to take place, that means that the person who is exiting the White House, the person who did not win the election, has to come to grips with the fact that he lost. Well, yes, which can be psychologically difficult. Um, people are in politics. They, they believe in what they're doing. They have a lot at stake, not only just in most cases, not just ego, but also their, their vision of what the country should be like. To lose is to lose the chance to shape the country according to that vision. At the same time, uh, we expect our, we hope, I should say, we hope that our politicians will be statesmen. And statesmen have to be concerned about the republic. They have to be concerned about continuing the republic, protecting essential democratic institutions like the electoral process. Let's talk about President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris. What are the expectations, do you think, of the American people when it comes to their newly elected president and VP? Well, that's a very good question. I suppose it depends on which of the American people you're talking about. Uh, Biden and uh, won, I think, more votes. Biden and Harris won more votes than any presidential ticket in history. What's it, 75 million votes or something in that neighborhood, perhaps a little higher? But Trump won 71 million votes. So roughly the country is split almost in half. Right? So the people who voted for Biden and Harris are hoping, I think, that they can deliver on some of what they promised during the campaign. We're talking about a turnaround on the environment. We're talking about the expansion of health care. We're talking about renewing relations with America's allies. But nearly half the electorate apparently preferred the course set by Donald Trump. So they're not going to be happy. One thing that stood out for me as I've been watching just about 24-7 since the election day itself and then the subsequent days and nights after was how Joe Biden took charge of COVID-19 and put together a task force and was very detailed in his efforts to explain to the American people what it is that they were preparing and proposing to do to try to bring those numbers down, to try to tackle COVID-19. What are your thoughts about how he proceeded and in the very early going of of the election results? Well, I think it was very smart, and I'm not at all surprised. I think Biden has been preparing for this for months. Uh, and I think he also recognizes that it's essential that he move quickly on the pandemic, because it is, well, it's killing people. It's spreading like wildfire. I think the rate of infection in the U.S. is, what, three times the rate of infection here in Canada? 
it's also devastating the economy. There will be no economic recovery until the pandemic is brought under control. Biden knows that. Trump is in a state of denial regarding the pandemic. And as a result, the United States, which normally the world would look to for leadership in dealing with a crisis of this magnitude, the United States is helpless. So Biden knows his first task has to be addressing the pandemic. So what he did does not surprise me at all. Where in the long list of things that Biden must do is the the development uh, and further development of a relationship uh, between uh, Washington and Ottawa? I, I think the healing has already begun. Uh, I, I read an article in the New York Times this morning uh, to the extent uh, saying that uh, Canadians are delighted by the Biden's election. And I think it's the tone it's the fact that you don't have to worry about a midnight tweet. Uh, historically, the ties between the United States and Canada have been very tight for obvious reasons. The shared border, all of the economic activity that goes back and forth across that border, shared interests in world affairs and national security. But the Trump administration pretty much ignored Canada. Did Trump come to Canada more than once? I don't think so. He came for the, the meeting of the, uh, of the economic group. A Biden presidency is going to pay attention to Canada. It's going to resume what I think of as the normal relationship between the United States and Canada. And will Biden be involved in tariff wars as Trump was with us? I wouldn't expect so. Now, it is true that the, the world outlook, the, the economic world, has, has changed. Um, past Democratic and Republican administrations were globalist in their outlook. They were in favor of free trade. I think that has changed. It's not just Trump who got behind this economic populism. It's, it's occurring all over now. And Biden, during the campaign, promised that he, he's going to buy American, privilege American vendors when the government sends out contracts, he is going to build back the economy. He's going to try to address the neglected persons who flock to Trump, the, those persons in regions of the country which have seen economic collapse, the loss of industry. So all of that suggests to me that he's not going to be the globalist that past Democratic presidents were. He's going to pay more attention to the domestic economy. That will undoubtedly affect the relationship between Canada and the U.S., but I don't think it's going to be you know, anywhere near the level of the, the tariff wars that Trump waged. Joe Biden has made no secret of the fact that he is pro-environment, very passionate about it. Will this have an adverse effect on Canada's oil patch? Well, the honest, question, uh, honest answer to that question is I, I don't know. I don't know enough about oil policy. Uh, I have to believe that it will. And I say that only because I think all fossil fuels... Can, you know, are going to suffer to the extent that as policy moves in the direction of clean energy, well, it's going to mean fewer purchases of fossil fuels. I mean, the economy is going to have to transition. Everybody recognizes this. Even the oil companies recognize this. The economy has to transition toward cleaner, environmentally safe fuels. Now, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take a while. And various measures can be undertaken by governments to cushion the blow to the economy that this transition will bring about. 
And it's, it's people always say that, well, you know, there are going to be new jobs in the new areas. Well, that's, that's true. But people who lose jobs in one area of the economy don't automatically get a job in the new and growing areas of the economy. So I think there's a lot that government can do to ease the transition. But ultimately, yes, I have to, I have to believe that fossil fuel industries will suffer as we move toward a green economy. Let's move to what I think is, for me personally, the the most interesting part of this election, and that is, in the court of public opinion, the reaction to the U.S. first female black South Asian vice president, Kamala Harris. Well, her election is a long time coming. Um, it just it just checks so many boxes. We have the first female vice president, the first black vice president, the first South Asian vice president. I mean, it is just a remarkable achievement, so far as I'm concerned. Um, mind you, I was overjoyed with the election of Barack Obama as the first black president. I thought that his election marked a change, a real turning point in American history. American history has such a, a legacy of racism. Uh, it, the, the country is founded as a slave country. It fights this huge civil war to eliminate slavery, but the, after the Civil War, we get Jim Crow and the Black Codes. We don't really begin to address it substantively until the mid-20th century. I thought we had reached a turning point, and that after Barack Obama's election, it just wouldn't be the same. Racism would be consigned to the margins of American politics and American life. And then we turned around and elected Donald Trump, who has been shouting out to white supremacists who has normalized racist language. Now, I'm hoping that the election of Biden and Kamala Harris is going to, again, put us on the course that Obama's election put us on. I hope I'm right about that. I think many people people feel that way, that hopefully the best is yet to come with Biden and Harris. Stephen Newman, Associate Professor, Department of Politics, Faculty of Liberal Arts and Professional Studies, York University. Thank you for joining us on the feed. Oh, thank you for having me. Coming up, how you can be a Santa to a senior. This is the feed on 1059 The Region. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to the feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer. Healthy Home Makeovers. You probably think this is the name of a renovation show on television, but in fact, it is a very smart business concept brought to life by Brian Latanville, the president of Healthy Home Makeovers. Thank you for joining us on the feed, Brian. Hi, thank you for having me. So exactly what does your company do? Healthy Home Makeovers, what are you all about? Uh, well, we specialize in a couple of areas. Uh, the one main area is air and water purification, so all everything to do with air and water within your home and uh, workplace. Uh, then we also specialize in organic bedding, infrared saunas, and electromagnetic field protection. So I'm most intrigued by the air purification, and particularly now as we're heading into cold and flu season, but also we're in the middle of a pandemic. How does it work? Yeah, so we have our five-stage whole home air purification system that we can attach to your ductwork, or we have a portable model 
uh, depending if you have an old radiation system in your home, maybe you want to put it in your small business, workplace, something like that. So it works as five filters. The first one is a pre-stage filter. The second one is a HEPA filter, which takes out 99.97 of all the allergens in the air and microorganisms. And it has a UV light, which kills and deactivates mold spores, viruses, and bacteria. Uh, it has a PCO filter, photocatalytic filter, which helps the UV light. And it also has a carbon filter, which helps with odors. This is attached to your ductwork, and it exchanges the air two times per hour up to an average house of 2,000 square feet. So it's not lost on anyone that we are spending more time inside and will continue to as winter starts to move its way into our lives. We're also in the middle of a pandemic. So how important is fresh, clean, safe, pure air to our well-being? Well, I'm glad you said pure air at the end because there's a difference between fresh air and pure air. We open our windows and there's pollution and particulates outside that come into our home. So what we want to do is we want to protect our environment in the house and have purified air with a purified air system, an air purifier. So the difference, some of the difference in how important it is, people working at home, children are at home, um, now homeschooled a lot for, throughout this pandemic or doing some at school, some at home, and a lot more people are working from home. And not only that, winter is coming. So it is very important to have purified air within your home, whether that's for allergies, influenzas, um, you know, other uh, viruses that could be floating around the home or other things that could come into your environment. And this is going to exchange the air two times per hour in that environment workplace. So very important. How does it handle something like COVID-19? So basically our systems, which we've been selling for many years now, um, are UVC light. It's a UVC light, and you can look this up online. And UVC lights are what they use in uh, hospitals and medical grade to deactivate viruses and bacteria within rooms and through air. And the way our system works is the difference between our system and uh, a UV light just stuck in your um, furnace or ductwork is that the particulates flow through our system and go through the five different stages. And the UVC light is stage number three. And when it hits the PCO filter, the particulates land on that, and the UV light kills those particulates or deactivates the viruses. And it lands on there and then gets filtered through the carbon filter. So that's how it works, and that's, how, and that's why it's important for not only COVID, but influenza, uh, other bacteria that might come into the home. It's especially great for people who have autoimmune diseases or cancer patients that cannot get sick again. These are very important uh, parts for your health in your home. There's also UV lights for water, and they work some of the same way to kill a coli and bacteria. So it's all the same kind of technology, and it's been out there for years. It's just people don't necessarily spend the money to put it in their homes but they're calling us nowadays to, to get it back in, and we've been very busy with it. Yeah, I can imagine. So walk me through the healthy home assessment. Sure. So for the first part of our, our business and one of our services is what we call a healthy home assessment. This is an assessment where I'm going to come to your home or workplace, and we test the air quality throughout the home. So we, we check the basement. We check the, every bedroom, if you like. We check all the rooms. We check an attic. We check outside, whatever it might be. Uh, especially in workplaces as well. So whether you have an apartment, a condo, a workplace, I come in and test the air quality. And the, my air tester is a particle concentration meter, and we calculate the particles throughout the whole house or workplace. We want to minimize those particles. That's what it's all about, because all of these particulates, dust particles, uh, bio burdens, toxins, VOCs, viruses, uh, mold spores, they all travel in the air on these particulates, and we're going to minimize those with air systems. Uh, then we test the water. We test your water for fluoride, uh, chlorine, hard water, 
We uh, test your electromagnetic fields within the home. We give you a full detailed report, and then we give the recommendations. It's a no-obligation recommendations on what you can do to improve the health of your home. The assessment's $99, and a lot of people love just having the assessment, knowing what's going on in their home. If they end up purchasing anything over $500, again, no obligation, they end up getting the $99 credited back against the purchase, so it becomes a free assessment in the end. Brian, do you have proof that whole home air purification system really works? So here's my proof for you. There are, there are um, some, some reports out there that people can look online. With our systems, I have my particle concentration meter, and I'll test your air prior to putting in the system. When we put in the system, within 15 minutes of it being installed in your system, you will see those numbers dropping. Uh, so you'll see the evidence for yourself. I have so many people call me and the next day, two days later, go, wow, Brian, I can really tell the difference. Like, it's, it's clean, it's crisp. I can feel the difference in the air quality. Um, also, they'll have less dust in their home uh, because the system is, it has its own fan, and it works with your fan, your furnace fan. And your furnace doesn't have to be on. It doesn't have to be hot or cold. Our system will constantly exchange the air within that house and constantly bring in those particulates, the dust particles, and bring it through the system and filter it through and then send you back out clean, purified air. So there's, to answer your question, there's lots of testimonials online. There's lots of evidence to show that air purifiers do work to clear and help with different levels of medical issues. The company Healthy Home Makeover, so the word healthy stands out for me. Some of your clients have reached out to you telling you that they feel that your system has helped prevent really serious illness. Yeah, we. so speaking of COVID, we just had a customer up in uh, the Angus area, Angus, Ontario, and they asked uh, me to come in a couple, about three months, two months ago to install air and water system. They heard me a while on the radio, different stations, and said, I want to have you come in and do this. Uh, a week later, um, one of their, uh, their children contracted uh, corona uh, through a workplace um, a person, a coworker. Um, they came home. My system was in. Um, one other member in the house that I contact with them that day had uh, tested positive, but nobody else in the house got it for the entire duration of during the isolation. Um, so there was uh, a good call from that customer saying, wow, thank you very much. We feel that your system did a really good job on not allowing the rest of us to be um, infected. Um, so that, that's one of the great stories that I love to hear, and that's why I do this, And I do this because it's all about creating a healthy environment in the home, a healthy oasis for healthy people and sick people alike. You want to, have a, you want to come home and know that your home is safe, and that's why we do this, and that's the concept. I want to thank you for helping all of us breathe easy, if you will. Thank you so much, Brian Latanville, the president of Healthy Home Makeovers. Thank you very much, Anne. And I just want to say that we have our home home system on for $1,000 off. It's got our sales going extended till December 31st. So if anybody's interested, follow us on Facebook, follow us on social media, check out the website. Be happy to come in and give you a healthy home assessment or talk to you further about anything you might have. The impact of the pandemic is widespread, but it has been particularly hard on our seniors. With the holidays just around the corner, many feel even more isolated than ever. Afua Ba now with how you can spread some cheer. 
the holiday season quickly approaching, and so to bring some Christmas cheer in the lives of seniors who have had a particularly hard year this year because of the COVID-19 pandemic, I'm now speaking with David Moatley, GM of Home Instead, and we're going to talk about the Be a Santa to a Senior program. David, thank you so much for joining me today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for calling. Awesome. Anytime. Okay, so first off, for those that may not know, if you can talk to me about Home Instead. So Homestead is a, a great company that supplies PFWs and caregivers to seniors in the community, whether that be in their home, at a retirement residence, in a long-term care facility. Essentially, wherever a senior calls their home, we're there to help. So Homestead is running the Be a Santa to a Senior program. What is that exactly? Around the holiday season, there are a lot of seniors, especially seniors in long-term care facilities who are experiencing isolation, and this year more than ever, um, due to COVID-19, our seniors are experiencing more isolation than ever before. So it's essentially where we partner with, uh, whether it be local businesses or volunteers, where we find out what our seniors in those long-term care facilities would like as their wishes, and we somehow find a way to get it to them. So this year we've partnered with uh, Amazon Business to create a contactless gift-giving experience for our volunteers and recipients. Cool idea. How did it start and how long has this program been running? Uh, this program's been around for, I believe, around uh, since 2003, um, the Be a Santa to a Senior program, and approximately 2.1 million gifts have brightened the season for more than 750,000 deserving seniors nationwide. You alluded to it earlier that this year is going to be a little bit different. Uh, we know that before there used to be private donations coming in, but this time there's a partnership with Amazon. So if you could expand on that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So what we've done is we figured out which seniors in the community um, in long-term care facilities specifically find out what their wishes are. And then what we've done uh, through the Amazon business collaboration is we create wish lists for them. And then we're able to send those links via Amazon or via email to our community partners. And then they fill the wishes that way where the gifts are now delivered either to our business or straight to the long-term care facilities. On that note, then, that means that there will not be any sort of donations from the public this particular year because of the pandemic? Yeah, unfortunately not. We're just, like I said, trying to limit and, and make things a little more contactless uh, for the season. The Be a Santa to a Senior program, when will it start running and how long will it run for? Uh, well, we, we're collecting uh, donations right now through the Amazon program, and we'll be delivering gifts right before the holiday season, so right before Christmas. Perfect. Okay. And then you've been a part of this uh, program for some time now. Tell me about your past experiences with this program and uh, basically the reaction that you see from seniors when they're getting these gifts. You know what? It's one thing to describe it, but to actually see the look on seniors' faces when you, you are able to provide a gift or even just coming by and, and saying hello to someone who's been in isolation for a very long time where they're a little bit limited with the number of visitors that they can see definitely goes a long way. And like I said, if you're able to fill a little wish, whether it's a sweater or a pair of pajama pants, it, it definitely brightens their day for sure. Oh, that's beautiful to hear. You said that already that the seniors have been picked out um, in long-term care facilities in York Region already? Correct. Right now we've partnered with Norfolk uh, Community Care Center and Sherwood Court Long-Term Care Facility. All right. And so then on that note, where can residents then go for more information? Uh, of course, we know that uh, they can't not buy the gifts in particular, maybe if they want to do uh, monetary donations or if they just want to keep the info handy for next year whenever nominations open up again, uh, where can they go for more information? 
normally through our website. They're able to find uh, a little more information with regards to the Be a Santa to a Senior program. So if you go to homeinstead.ca, you'll be able to go through the links to see Be a Santa to a Senior. Well, finding a new way to bring smiles to seniors this holiday season with the Be a Santa to a Senior gift program, David Mowatley, GM of Home Instead. Thank you so much for your time once again today. Hey, it's my pleasure. Just trying to do our part. Thank you so much. And now we're moving specifically to the town of Georgina, where they are holding their own Be a Santa to a Senior program. So joining me to chat today is Catherine Squires. She is the town of Georgina's recreational programmer for senior program and special events. Catherine, thank you so much for your time today. Well, thanks for having me. It is our pleasure. Okay, so first off, for the listeners that may not know uh, about this program, what is the Be a Santa to a Senior program about? So uh, the Be a Santa to a Senior program is an annual program that we've been doing since 2009. Um, and basically what happens is that the town of Georgina coordinates with um, two of our local long-term care resident homes, and we uh, gather the resident's wish list for Christmas, and we put it, uh, the call out to the community. We put the request out to the community. The community then purchases the gifts, and we collect them and deliver them to the long-term care homes, and the staff at those long-term care homes distribute them. Such a great idea. Yeah. How did this idea come about? So actually it was a pilot program that started in 2009 and the purpose was to encourage community involvement in making a real difference to seniors during the holiday season. And the goal was to provide a Christmas gift for each of the long-term care residents at Cedarvale Lodge in Keswick and River Glen Haven in Sutton. Both of those are in Georgina. So we worked with the um, both of those the staff at both of those homes to uh, figure out how we could help um, support them during the holiday season. Um, and this is what uh, we are continuing now in 2020. We're we're keeping it going, and we have uh, four different businesses that are also involved, integral part of the whole Be a Santa to a Senior, as they hold our Be a Santa to a Senior boxes that have all of the gift wish lists on them. If we didn't have those locations, we wouldn't be able to to do this program. Um, so those locations, the two that have been with us since 2009 are Canadian Tire in Keswick and Giant Tiger in Sutton. But as well, we also have Shoppers Drug Mart in Keswick that has been doing this with us for a number of years. And Shoppers Drug Mart in Sutton has started um, to help us this year as well in 2020. Uh, You mentioned this started in 2009, so basically 11 years running. But how important is this program this year in particular? We know that seniors have had such a difficult time this year, especially because of the pandemic. Absolutely. So um, this is a real opportunity for our community to show that we care. And uh, definitely during the holiday season, um, this initiative helps to make a difference and brighten up the life of a senior in one of these long-term care facilities. There has been a lot of negatives this year, and this is one way that the community can definitely say, we care and we're thinking about you, um, and really helping to, you know, brighten uh, this holiday time for those folks who are in our long-term care residence homes. Okay, so a bit of a three-part question here. So when will this program begin? How long will it run? And then when will it end? Sure. So 
Um, the program runs until December 10th. So gift tags and gift boxes are out at our locations. Again, it's Canadian Tire in Keswick, Giant Tiger in Sutton, Shoppers Drug Mart in Keswick, and Shoppers Drug Mart in Sutton. So those are available now. Folks would visit one of those locations. They would select a Christmas wish tag. Um, each has uh, the first name of the resident as well as one of their wishes. Um, you fulfill the wish list by shopping for your gift. And once you've purchased that gift, you leave the gift at the store unwrapped and unsigned with one of the store staff. They will collect the gift, and then the town of Georgina will take in all of the gifts, sort them, and then give them uh, to the uh, long-term care residents. And the resident, uh, the staff at the homes will um, distribute to the proper person at each of the residences. What are maybe some of the items that you have seen on the wish lists? Oh, definitely um, lots of toiletries such as creams, body washes, shampoo and conditioner, uh, blankets, um, robes, pajamas, even some CDs. Uh, there's some guitar picks I saw in the list. Um, so there's a variety of things, uh, slippers and music uh, CDs. Those are those are probably the majority of, oh, shirts. Oh, there's a lot of shirts. There's some jackets, sweaters, sweatshirts, things like that. So things that they can use every day and things that will really um, help them along and, and just make them feel like, hey, you know, someone cares. <laughs> These are things that we mm -hmm. can get uh, basically anywhere. It wouldn't really cost us much, and it will bring such joy into the lives of these seniors. It's, I think it's really humbling to hear this wish list, honestly. Absolutely. And, you know, we don't know um, what – we don't know each person individually that we're, we're helping, but, and we also don't know what their situation is. They may not have family. They may not be able to connect with their family, in particular due to covid um, so these things are things that will make their lives better every day um, moving forward. So um, it is really important, and they are, um, you know, they, they seem like small wishes, um, but they are very, very important to these residents, and we can't thank the community enough um, for helping to, to bring this um, to those people. And how has your experience been with this program so far? I mean, maybe just hearing the feedback of when these seniors receive these gifts and maybe how they feel when they, when they get them, basically. They are so ecstatic. It is um, an opportunity for them to uh, open a gift on Christmas morning. Uh, so we know that um, the staff at the long-term care homes they get to see the reward of their faces and the happiness that these gifts bring um, to these folks. So um, they have uh, given so much positive feedback. We have such a long-standing and long-term great relationship with these long-term care homes um, that have spilled out into other programming that we do with the town of Georgina. We really work together as a community and it's a great example as to how a community can come together 
and ensure that all residents feel like they're part of the community. Absolutely. You said it best. Uh, Just a quick question. For this program in particular, will you be accepting monetary donations? Can residents donate gift cards or it's strictly the items on the wish list that you're looking for right now? So gift cards are always welcome. We do not accept monetary gifts, um, but gift cards are always welcome. And we do pass them along um, to if there happens to be a gift that doesn't come in or um, something that doesn't suit someone, it is, it's great to be able to have those gift cards to be able to purchase, purchase something specific for the folks that are in the long-term care homes. Um, I know there's a couple of people who requested gift cards as well to like local stores where they could pick up their own thing. Some of them are able to get out. And then where can residents uh, go for more information on this great program? So if you go to Georgina, www.georgina.ca, at the lower part of the page is our events calendar link. And the Via Santa to a Senior information is there. There's the link and all of the information is there as well as our poster. Um, And we're asking that anyone that is um, involved uh, and who wants to participate, that they are feeling well. Um, and that they are not exhibiting any COVID symptoms at this time. Um, and there's a checklist that we ask everyone to go through before participating. Uh, so that is also there. Um, I'll also mention that all of the gifts that are coming in need to be submitted by December 10th at the very latest because there is a quarantine period in which all gifts will be going through before they make their way over to our long-term care homes. Perfect. Okay, thank you for mentioning that. That is actually a great point there. So we hope that the listeners will get Mm -hmm. out there and shop early so that uh, there's more than enough time for the quarantine process to happen and uh, these gifts can uh, be in the hands of seniors for this holiday season. All right, chatting about the Be a Santa to a Senior program, Catherine Squires, Town of Georgina's Recreational Programmer for Senior Program and Special Events. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much. A new campaign to help the homeless. Jim Lang with an update from Blue Door Shelters. One of the organizations going above and beyond the call of duty as we deal with the COVID-19 pandemic is our good friends at Blue Door Shelters. To talk more about it, thrilled to be joined by their CEO, Michael Braithwaite. Michael, as always, a pleasure. How are you? I'm, I'm really well. I'm fortunate to be healthy and safe. Jim, how are you? I can't complain. Um, yeah, and the same thing. I mean, right now, as long as I'm healthy and my family's healthy, I mean, everything else is basically secondary. I really don't care. That's right, that's right. Uh, You have something really cool going on. It's the 200 Doors campaign. Uh, Tell us more about it, because it's an an incredibly, uh, I guess, forward-thinking initiative to help the homeless in the region. Yes, you know what? And, in fact, it's it's not as Blue Door is a part of it, but there's actually eight other organizations that are a part of this. We've come together as a group, as a sector, as we often do in this region, which is awesome to help our most vulnerable Yellow Brick House, Sandgate, 360 Kids, Salvation Army, the Canadian uh, Mental Health Association, Loft, In From the Cold, and Out From the Cold, as well as Blue Door, have come together. And the idea around this is now more than ever, when we're telling Canadians, stay home, stay safe, for those who don't have that safe home, we need to find it. So we're, we're doing a project where we've hired a couple people that are doing aggressive uh, reaching out to landlords to get them to rent to our clients and be a part of the solution. 
And the idea, and hopefully you can house 200 individuals and families, um, it, uh, this is the initial stages. What kind of response have you received from landlords in the region to this kind of initiative? You know what? We, we've got good response so far. I think we are hoping to, we started this a while back. We're hoping to house 200 people. I think we'll go way beyond that. We've housed 100 already. Now that's because of those amazing organizations I listed. But landlords across the region have big hearts. Many of them are also struggling because uh, in the time of COVID, it's hard to show people their, their rental apartments, and they might be struggling with uh, finding good renters. And not only when you rent to uh, one of our clients who's in need, uh, you have the backup of all those organizations making sure rent is paid on time, if there's any challenges, and not that there will be, but if there are, you have the backup of us. And you know what? Hey, you get to be a community champion as well. Michael, you talk about um, the struggles of landlords, and it, it, it there's a, there's a balance that really has to be, I guess, dealt with here, where you want to have kindness and compassion and help others, but then at the same time, the landlords can't help people to the point where they're bankrupt. How do they how do they find that balance where they're helping each other but not going into business at the same time? Yeah, and it's so true, right? I mean, at the end of the day, as big as the hearts are of people, it is a business, and so we try and mitigate some of that as well where we look at, you know, when you're bringing our clients in, if there's any struggles around rent not being paid, uh, we can support with that and get them the uh, um, pieces they need to make sure that happens, uh, if there's any challenges. And then you wouldn't have these services if you had any other person move in, right, that um, disturbances, anything that's happening, you have a backup of these organizations. So not only are you able to run your business and, and you know, uh, not suffer financially, you can feel pretty good about it, too. And we've got landlords that have said, hey, this has been, you know, I was a little worried at first, but it's been an amazing experience. I feel really good at the end of the day as well. Michael, I know you're a big hockey guy, and team is a big part of your your concept, your life goal, on and off of work. And I think that this sort of organization where nine different organizations come together, share resources, share brain power, is right up your alley with a sense of teamwork and, and maybe can help each other in the long run. Absolutely. Listen, why are we competing for this? A landlord might step forward and say, hey, here's what I'm comfortable with. If someone's fleeing violence, um, that's what I'd like to help. Great. Yellow Brick House Sandy is there. They might say, we only want senior men, and that may be suit. Uh, Locked in Blue Door. Maybe we have a soft spot for youth, and that's 360 Kids, Blue Door Salvation Army. Together, we are stronger. We're not there to compete. We are all helping uh, the most vulnerable, and it's pretty cool in this region that we all see that and step forward and say, let's do this together, and we launched this campaign. And it's built off a campaign, a uh, similar campaign that they did in uh, the city of Calgary, where they did 600 keys. Uh, a little bigger in Calgary, so we started with 200, but let's see where we can go. Of course, you can always get details of bluedoor.ca. Any kind of uh, donations to time or money uh, is greatly appreciated. And I know you've talked about it in social media, and you've been quite upfront that this could be a difficult winter for a lot of people in the region uh, as as listeners, as a society, as people that live here. What can we do to help? Well, you're absolutely right, Jim. I mean, when we've had to cut capacity because of social distancing measures, so we've had to try and add a lot of housing to be innovative in how we do that. Here's a couple ways you can help. Hey, if you're a landlord and you have a property, have the conversation with us um, and tell us what your needs are. I bet you we can meet them and we can house people and meet your needs at the same time, both uh, you know, con- you know, socially and financially. And also, you know, just be kind. Reach out to these organizations, see what their needs are, see how you can support. Now, more than ever, our, our most vulnerable are hit 
the hardest. Everyone's suffering, but our most vulnerable the, the most. So during this holiday season, hey, it's, it's time to step up. Uh, and we've seen it already in, in stage. People have been amazing. Speaking with Michael Braithwaite, the CEO of Blue Door, and, and Michael, we've heard uh, and read a lot of stories about people who have investment properties, apartments or houses they use as investment to rent out. A lot of them are empty. How do we, I guess, work in concert with the different levels of government to have these empty properties fill with people who need a place to live? Well, I think what we're seeing, uh, you know, something that did work in Vancouver and has worked here is that empty property tax. It forces people not to keep those. Uh, places empty uh, moving forward, and you know we put incentives in place. So it's really we've got to incentivize these landlords to step forward and know that it's a better business to uh, to fill these up. It's better for the whole neighborhood not to have uh, empty apartments. You know there is something called the financialization of housing, which is much larger. When corporations buy massive amounts of housing and leave them empty as a real estate investment, pushing people into homelessness, I think that's we've got to push our government officials to start writing policies and procedures to, to stop that from happening as well. The 200 Doors campaign, Blue Door and eight other organizations in the region coming together, engaging landlords in the region to house families and individuals. It's, a, it's an absolutely a brilliant concept. And as you said, you alluded to it earlier, Michael, this is probably the beginning of more to come where each other help each other. Hey, this is for you. I got this. Maybe you can help me. Absolutely. We see it almost, you know, in our future goal is to have, some kind of uh, program where it's almost like a match.com. A, a landlord puts in, here are my needs, and then alerts are sent out to the organization that can meet those needs. So immediately you're matching up with people that fit the needs, and we're getting them into housing, and that landlord is happy as well. We're going to continue to push that forward. We've taken examples from London, Ontario, Calgary, um, and, and others who have had success with this. And I know we're going to be successful because I know the, the, the region of York and the people are amazing and, and have huge hearts. Michael, as always, we thank you for your time and your great efforts to help people in the region. A pleasure. Thank you, Jim. If you missed any part of our show, go to 1059theregion.com or follow us on Twitter at 1059theregion. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.